Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So I'm going to ask you just where you are, maybe in your home, on your couch, um, to open up your Bible with me to the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 8. So we've been preaching through the book of Acts for a long while now, and we're in a new series that we are calling Those Jesus People. Those Jesus People. Now, in the time just after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, many people started calling this movement, the Jesus movement, they called them the Galileans because most of Jesus' 12 disciples, himself included, obviously, came from Galilee, so it was geographical. And then after that, it progressed a bit further. People eventually started calling them the people of the way because they realized that with these Jesus followers, it wasn't just simply some weekend habit or just an area of your religious life, but it asked for a whole new way of approaching life. So they became people of the way. It was practical. But I want you to see how eventually it became deeply personal. Because where we're going to land with a series on December 5th, it's in Acts 11 verse 28 or 26 and it says, The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Antioch was a city in the ancient Near East. And for the first time, the Christians were no longer the Jesus followers known as Galileans or followers of the way or anything else. They were called Christians. Jesus Christ. Christ meaning Messiah, Savior, the, the Saint One. And this is so profound for us because here we have a church that was not known for its devotion to politics or holy wars and it wasn't known for its opposition to a whole bunch of things, anti-gay, anti-science. No, they were known for their devotion to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what South Africa and our city needs. A church that is known primarily for its devotion to the grace and truth and hope and justice, the kingdom, the way, the life and truth of Jesus. Are we a Jesus-centered, Jesus-obsessed people? Those Jesus people. And as we're looking at the characteristics of these Jesus people, in week one we said that they were a people of life, God-quality life. And last week we saw them as a people of service, serving one another and serving the city. And let's read further today. Acts 6 verse 8 says, Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But opposition arose from some of the members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And so they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came, they seized them, and they took him to the Sanhedrin. They were the Jewish council. So verse 15 says, And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like that of an angel. Are these things true? The high priest asked. Brothers and fathers, he replied, listen. 
And now he goes into a very long sermon covering the history of the Jewish people. I can't go into all of that today, but fast forward to the end. He builds it up, the sermon to this point. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They have even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed against them. They dragged them out of the city and began to stone him. Verse 59. And while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Verse 3, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. What an incredible passage. And this is a turning point in the history of Christianity itself. Because think about this for a moment. There has never been a phenomena that has so deeply impacted the human race like Christianity. No other movement has ever crossed so many boundaries of race and culture and gender, has gone so widely and so deeply into every human culture imaginable. And no other movement for good has started as many hospitals and universities and children's homes and schools. And my question is, how did we get to that? Just imagine how many pastors and Christian professors that were teaching and, and full-time missionaries and, and people that were being paid to work for the church, how many of those people that we need to get to this level of impact? But of course, what this passage is showing us, that's not the answer. That's not the answer because what this passage is teaching us is a core theme that goes all throughout Christian history and that is that the global and historical impact of the Christian faith did not come about simply by the work of pastors and missionaries and, and full-time professors and theological teachers. It came about through the people. It was the average Jesus follower like you and me that made a global historical impact. Listen to this. It says in verse 1 that all except the apostles, the early followers, the, the leaders that Jesus had instituted, all except them were scattered throughout the land. And verse 4 then says that after they had been scattered, it says those who were scattered, the people, they went around preaching the word of God. This passage sets the tone for the rest of Christian history. It was not simply the professionals, it was the people. The people were the ones taking 
the good news of Jesus in word and in deed into every nook and cranny of their life. That's how we got to this place. You know, we introduced to Stephen in our previous sermon last week. And how are we introduced to him? He is a man that had been appointed with some other men to handle a practical issue in the church. This whole ordeal from last week about the widows and, and making sure the food program is running, that's his task. And how many of us now assume that, okay, so he is one of the guys doing the practical things. The others will do all the fancy things, you know. But look at what we read. Verse 8 says, Stephen was full of grace and power. And he was performing many signs and wonders amongst the people. Stephen, the practical guy, it says they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit through whom he was speaking. And that very same Stephen, the practical guy, the deacon, he was the very first martyr, person to, to die for their faith in the history of the Christian church, verse 60 says. So we don't know for a fact, but most probably commentators say Stephen was a blue-collar worker. He was maybe a fisherman or he was a woodworker, but he, the, the blue-collar guy, he was the first person to step into this role of what we in Doxadeo would call the city changer, someone who's had the message of Jesus so deeply impact their heart that he would step out and he would take the message there. What do we see from Stephen? That your vocation, what you do for a living, you're a student, you're, you're in high school, you work somewhere, maybe you're a mom at home full time, your vocation is not the thing that determines your effectiveness for Christ. It's your calling. How seriously you take your calling in Jesus, that's what determines your effectiveness for Him in this life. And so yes, these Jesus followers, they were a people of life and of service, but we see today, week three, they are a people of calling who responded, every single one of them, to the calling of God upon their lives. Because the Jesus movement became a global force for good. Because millions eventually of plumbers and poets and programmers and pediatricians and painters and postmen and police officers and yes, pastors began seeing their Christian faith, Christianity, following Jesus, not as simply a weekend habit, not as simply a hobby, not simply as a religious moment on a Sunday, but they began seeing it as responding to the calling of God upon their life 24-7, every day of their lives, every area of their life. They were a people of calling. So I've just got one thought for us today, but we're going to look at the two sides of it. As I speak to you, maybe as a Christ follower today, and that is this, that the way that you view your calling will determine how you live out your calling. The way you view your calling from God, if you're a Christian, will determine the way that you live out said calling. So let's look at that first emphasis. It's the way that you view your calling that determines how you live it out. So now, here's a question that I can ask all of us. What percentage of the last week of your life was spiritual? What percentage of your week would you say was spiritual or sacred or godly, maybe, if I use those words? 
Now, I'm sure that no one's going to answer 100%. But the reality is the Christian view of life actually means that we should, no matter what you do for a living, you should answer 100%. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the the, the Corinthians and he says in, in chapter 10 verse 31, whether you eat or drink, and he could add anything in there. He says, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. He's saying there is a way to live, a way to study, to work, to play, to plan, to think, to hang out, to pursue life where every single aspect of it is filled with God's glory, with His holiness that is sacred. In fact, John 17, Jesus prays and he says of the disciples, of us who follow him, he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Oh, Christianity is about going to heaven. Well, he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Just as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We don't need in South Africa simply more Christians in the city. We need more Christians who think like Christ in the city, who see their lives and every facet of it as a moment to bring the sacred of God to bear upon whatever we do. And I think the two things we have to break to do that, the two kind of false assumptions we make is number one is that there are some spiritual times and places of life and then there are secular times and places in life. One of the key things that, that, you know, Stephen does through this long sermon, we can't go through it today, but it's brilliant. Go and read it in your own time. But one of the key themes in that sermon that he preaches to the council is he says to them that God's work all throughout history It's never been isolated to certain geographic locations or restricted to certain buildings or temples or spaces. No, he says that God spoke to Abraham in Mesopotamia. He blessed Joseph in Egypt. He spoke to Moses in the Sinai Desert. So what is he saying? He is saying that God can do his work wherever he chooses to do that. There are no sacred and secular spaces and times and places. So I'm not doing a spiritual thing when I'm going to the church on Sunday. And then when I step into my work or my class or my home on Monday morning, now I'm doing a secular thing. That's an unbiblical split that we should not allow in our homes. When you are studying for your exam, when you're working and you are planning budgets and spreadsheets, when you are on that work site, when you step into the hospital, when you are entering your classroom, you are not doing a secular thing according to the Bible. You know, I have a good friend, my, one of my colleagues from Dr. Blumen, he once got chastised as he was standing in the church. He's a pastor by some of the partners in the church. They were old Afrikaans, Umis, very kind of old religious way of thinking about faith. And he had a hat on. He always wore that hat, by the way. And they walked right up to him and said, how can you wear a hat in the holy place of God? Now, I understand where they come from, and I get that, but that's a misconception. That church building is not making anything holy, and I promise you a hat is not going to mess that up in any way. Psalm 72, 19 says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. Why? The whole earth is 
filled with His glory. A church building is no more spiritual than an operating theater, than a classroom. We are the ones who have to make the mind shift about seeing every area of life as an opportunity to engage the sacred. God, I make this moment all about you wherever it is. So when I walk through the doors of my office or my home, I should have the very same mindset as when I walk into the building on a Sunday morning. I am here to glorify God and to be good to the people around me, whatever I do. Spiritual times and places, secular times and places. But the other one I think we need to break is that there are spiritual people and spiritual jobs and vocations, and then there are secular people and secular jobs and vocations. You know, there was one of the partners, again, in Duxedo Bloom many years ago, one of the students, Jessica, she was a great girl. But she was always introduced me to people as the minister. I am the minister of the church. And once again, I understand where she comes from, a background in religion in that way. But I want to tell you, I am not the minister. We are, as the church, the ministers. But the the mindset often is that, you know, there are professionals in the kingdom and they're not just, you know, the rest. And the professionals, like the missionaries and the pastors and the, the professors at the university, they are paid to bring impact, to make disciples, to build the church. And the rest, you know, you're just supposed to hang out and come to church and and look at things happening on stage. But this is not what the Bible says. Listen to Ephesians 4.11. It says, And he himself gave some in the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? 2 verse 12, Equip the saints, the Christians, for their work of ministry. For the work of ministry, you are the minister. Boxadeo has one program that we run. You are that program. That's why I love what 1 Peter 2.9 says. But you, the Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are the priests of God in your workspace, in your home. And you need to think and act with that priestly mindset because it says, so that you as the priesthood would proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I had a friend who was studying to be a chartered accountant. But at one stage he was wrestling with this idea that he had become now a Christian. Jesus had powerfully broken into his life and he thought to himself, well, if I'm going to be a CA, that's secular. It's just money, it's just career, it's all, you know, it's, it's so worldly. So I should rather go and study to be a pastor, then I can do something for God with my life. And it took genuine discipleship, getting into the Bible, praying, walking the road for him to see That yes, there is a way to be a CA that's absolutely secular and worldly and carnal and it's selfish and it's it's self-centered. But there is a way to fulfill your calling as a CA, as a Jesus follower that is sacred, that's beautiful. And knowing that you don't have to be a pastor to perfectly walk in the calling that God has upon your life. I think we all have the same primary calling, a calling into relationship with the Father through Jesus. But then we also, all Christians, have the same secondary calling 
to glorify God in everything we do, bring his kingdom to earth and be good to the people around us. And you do that whether you are the programmer or the pediatrician or the pastor. So just look at Stephen's life. Can we for a moment just imagine him as a lens for whatever you do. If you're, a, if you're in high school, whether you are a full-time mom or whether you are a doctor, just look at Stephen's life for a second and imagine that in your context. Because it says here, verse 5, he was full of faith. It says in verse 5 that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 8 that he was full of grace. And it says in verse 10 that he was full of wisdom. Now imagine every single Christian in Pretoria, wherever they find themselves 24-7, Monday to Saturday, full of faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, and wisdom. Because faith means that Stephen was willing to trust God and therefore sacrifice everything in life for his kingdom. And full of the Holy Spirit means that he was someone who pursued the presence of the Holy Spirit above all things, but also be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit immediately. It says he was full of grace. In other words, the message of grace. Every interaction that he ever had was in his mind being laced with how can I bring people to the understanding of Jesus pouring out grace over them, even though they are lost. But not just the message of grace, he was a gracious person. Here he is under heat in this moment of people trying to kill him. And what does he do? He acts graciously. And it says he was full of wisdom. Guys, reading the Bible is one thing. Knowing a whole bunch of things about the Bible, but having a biblical worldview, a biblically formed person of wisdom, as you read decade in, decade out, you're becoming a wise person. This is who you want to be in Christ. Do you see your calling in this way? Because that will determine how you live out your calling. So let's look at that second part. Yes, the way you view it. But that will determine how you live out your calling. Now Craig Rochelle, he's the leader of one of the biggest churches in the world. And he says he would often in the beginning years of ministry, as he's about to preach, he would be so nervous, he would throw up in a bucket in his office. And then he would go up and preach. And as God almost journeyed with him, he said eventually there came a point where the confidence to know that God had called him to preach. Just before he would step up to this stage, he would literally take a step forward. And in his mind, what he was doing is he was saying, God, I know that it's not about me, it's about you. And I will now step into what you have called me. And I want you to see how this is exactly, verse 4, it says that it was who? Was it the apostles, the leaders, the big shots, the professionals? No, it says it was the people. They, the, they, they were scattered all over the ancient Near East because of this persecution. And what? The scattered church. They were the ones every single day who stepped into whatever their vocation was. Into sharing the gospel, living the gospel, bringing the gospel caring for the poor, helping, speaking about Jesus, discipling them. I want you to see on a Monday as you get out of bed, as you are about to open the office door, as you're about to enter into your class in high school, I want you to see that anointing of God saying, oh, here it goes. He's about, she's about to step into their calling. So 
so what does that look like? I want to just leave you with three things. I think your calling, whoever you are, whatever you do for a living, is number one, your calling is to do your work with excellence, to speak about Jesus always with relevance, and to pursue godly character with patience. Let's look at each of them in turn. First up, your calling as you step into full-time ministry every day is to do your work, your schooling, your studies, tackle your home life, do your work with excellence. With excellence. Do you realize that we see one of the biggest domino effects in all of Christian history taking place in Stephen? Because this relatively small act of Stephen standing up and being bold, do you realize that this is the domino that pushes over, we just hear the word Saul, that person thrown in there, two chapters from here, we're going to see one of the most influential human beings in the history of our race. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he becomes a Christian. It was the direct actions of Stephen that leads to Paul becoming a Christian and whole Chapters of the human race is rewritten because of his influence. Friends, we don't always see the impact that we have by even the smallest things that we do with a godly mind and a godly heart and godly hands. We don't always see that. You know, my vocation is not primarily, whatever you do for a living, it's not supposed to be primarily about fulfilling my needs, but to see it as a way that I can serve others and bring my life in service to God. And so I do it with absolute excellence. Whether someone can see me, whether it's in the dark, whether I get marks for this, whether someone will find out it's irrespective because I serve one, audience of one. 1 Peter 14 says, Just as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve others. Some of you are gifted as doctors. You are gifted as electricians. You are gifted as moms and dads. You are gifted in your schooling or as a sportsman. You have to do those things with the audience of one in mind. God is pleased with me because of Jesus and my faith in His power, but I can live for the joy of my Father who has gifted me. You know, there's an IT company in India of, of uh, quite a lot of influence at this point, but they are a bunch of Christians who came together. They said that they want to make an impact in that country and listen to their mission statement as they speak about that servant heart. What we've been gifted with, we will bring glory to God and bring good to the people. They say we are going to serve our customers with creative, innovative, reliable, and top quality solutions. We're going to serve our employees with meaningful and challenging work, with stability, good salaries, development, and a pleasing work environment. We're going to serve our stakeholders by providing attractive returns on their investments. We're going to serve our country by creating knowledge and wealth and contributing to local concerns. We're going to serve society by showing that success and high moral standards can coexist. And we're going to serve ultimately God and His kingdom by being faithful and good stewards. Whatever you do, your calling is to do that with excellence. But secondly, your calling is to also speak about Jesus all the time. <laughs> Wherever you are, speak about Him with relevance. You see that Stephen in verse 2, he identifies with his audience, his fellow Jewish people. He speaks to them as brothers and fathers in verse 2. And then he goes on and he speaks from Jewish history. 
And he recounts all of that from their scriptures, from the things that make sense to them and their context and their language, that are authority figures to them, to then right at the end only get to Jesus. And then he makes that point to bring them to the deeper realization that they are in need of the grace and truth that only Jesus can bring. So in your work, in your studies, in your household, wherever you find yourself, you are too from a place of relationship that people can trust and in language that they can understand, speak about Jesus. Let me read you a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. And now he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you hear this? He's saying not the learned, not the professors, not only the pastors or the evangelists, but you as a Christian in your home with your kids, in your office, in the way you do your work, you have to grow in the skill and in the pattern, the habit of speaking about Jesus in a way that relates to the people around you. They trust you. I promise you they don't trust me. You are in corners of our city that I will never get to. You speak in a language that people understand, that they trust. You know the touch points and the hurts in their life. You know the ways that they think and their fears. You know the false gods they are pursuing. And it's saying that God wants to make his appeal through you. Speak about Jesus with relevancy to your will. And finally, your calling is to pursue godly character with patience. To pursue it with patience. And verse 15, it says strikingly that Stephen's face, as he is confronted with all these people, it says it was glowing, almost like that of an angel. You've seen this. There are people that, that come out of the presence of God, that have spent time with Him, that are in a season of life, even though it's difficult, there is something of a glowing on them. It's the character, the joy, the hope of God. Friends, one of the greatest things that we can do is to say, God, I know that the world wants to microwave everything, just microwave success, microwave character, microwave you know, my journey in life, microwave my, my marriage and my everything. But we know for a fact that the Holy Spirit, He is the ultimate slow cooker of character. And I have to say, Holy Spirit, I'm willing to walk the decades journey of a character that reflects who my God is. And so just imagine again if every single class and school and every single office and home had people that say, listen, in a city of angry division, God, I want to I have a peacemaking spirit. In a city of frantic, just spending and earning financially, God, I want to have a content spirit. In a city that has painful loss everywhere, God, I want to have a healing spirit. In a city of just sexual confusion, God, I want to have a, a, a spirit that's filled with your identity. And can I just encourage you very practically on this point of just, God, will you come and shape my character so that it would just bleed out of me wherever I go? In the morning, before you start your work or your parenting or your studies or anything like that, take the scriptures, but don't just read. For the next couple of months, pray through the scriptures. Just pray through them. Pray 
so that your head and your heart and your hands would be covered with the wisdom, the grace, and the truth of God. Allow your Father to prepare your character as you go into your calling. Guys, we don't always see the potential of the season that we are in. But God says, wherever you go, do your work with excellence. Speak about Jesus. Become more fluent in His good news and who He is in your life and what He's done and why He's your hope. Do it with relevance. And trust the Holy Spirit to shape your character in such a way that you would have the patience to see it make a difference to those around you. I just want to close by saying that, you know, it's so, so easy for a, a message like this, even as we read the Bible, to become this. Be like Stephen, guys. Come on. We can all be like Stephen. Be as patient and spirit-filled and wise. And let's, well, let's sacrifice our lives like Stephen. But that's not what the Bible is all about. It's not trying to be like these people. No, what we see in Stephen's life is that he did not trust his own life to himself, but he entrusted it to Christ. And therefore, Stephen should point us deeper than example, but he should point us to who Jesus is on our behalf. Because as he's getting you know, stoned, he's dying, what does he do? Exactly like Jesus on the cross. In the vein of Christ, he says these two things. Father, receive my spirit like Jesus did. And he says, Father, forgive them. But do you see that when he gazes into heaven, he doesn't just trust in God. And so guys, let's be like Stephen. Trust God. He says he sees Jesus. If not for the sacrifice and the love and the God who steps into our muck and our sin and our brokenness in Jesus the good example of Stephen would mean nothing. It would not help you. It would tire you to try and be like this. And so what do we need? How can Stephen with such boldness look into the heavens and know that the Father smiles over his life in the most difficult moment of his existence? It's because Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. It's not what I can do for God like Stephen. It's what God has done on my behalf in Jesus. You know, Stephen brings this counsel to the place where they realize you have, as he preaches throughout the whole history of the Jewish people, you have resisted the Spirit. You've rejected God's messengers. And you have broken the law. And guess what? That's where all of us were. Or maybe you are. You have been resisting the Spirit calling you to the Father. You have been rejecting the message and the messenger of Jesus over your life. And you have broken the law of God. You have worshipped yourself and you are trying to be your own God. But here's the beautiful thing. The sermon is not, you can fix it. You can be better. You can come and grovel before God. But here is the God who has come to die and raised to victory, passing through the heavens. And he says, it's open before you. As you step into your calling, you have an open heaven, Christian. So don't be afraid. Don't, be, don't feel guilty. Don't live under fear. You have a calling. 
But if you are not a Christian, if you have been resisting the Spirit, if you've broken the law of God, if, if you have rejected His messenger, there is a calling today to come home to your Father by accepting the work of the Christ of the Christians. Do that today. Pray and say, Father, I want to know you through Jesus. They were a people of calling. Let's answer that call. In Jesus' name, amen.